just want you to know, uh, Christian is preaching at our sister church over in Brandon, Gulf Coast Brandon. We've mentioned them a couple times. Um, they're in between pastors, so they're in transition. Uh, it's where Loon, uh, it's the church he was pastoring, who is now in Vietnam, so trying to make those connections for you. Um, I've been able to Zoom call with what we think the man man plans his steps, right? And so um, as, as far as we know at this point, um, they've reached out to a pastor who is actually in Scotland right now, um, and he's Scottish, and so they're trying to get their family moved over, and uh, his name is Graham. I've been able to, to meet him on, on Zoom calls. But uh, please pray for Christian this morning, and even though he's not here, I think at some point he'll probably watch the, uh, the service. Um, I just want to thank him. The past two weeks, how he's been teaching us about covenant is just such a gift, um, and, I, and I just want to give credit. You know, we, we have a preaching team, right? We have an elder team. Um, this is not, this is not a... <laughs> It's not a one-man thing, um, and I'm so glad for that. But, you know, even going, going back further, the reason why we're in First and Second Samuel is because we have a preaching team, and, and it was actually Josiah's um, recommendation to us as a team. When we were in the New Testament, when we were looking at what's next, he was helping us to think maybe, maybe First and Second Samuel. So that's why we're here, um, is through that suggestion. Um, the miniseries was Christian. A number of months ago, he was just commenting, you know, we're gonna, coming up to 2 Samuel 7, David's covenant. It'd be great to preach um, the covenants that are leading up to this covenant. And uh, just, yeah, it's beautiful to have team. Um, so grateful for these guys. But uh, yeah, thank you to Christian. These past couple of sermons uh, freed me up to do some um, prep for, we've done two marriage retreats um, in the past month and a half, and so that was super, super helpful, but also um, just, he just really, I think, I've heard sermons on covenant, and sometimes you just walk away a little bit more confused than when you walked in, <laughs> and it was just the clarity of which he presented God's word, so helpful. Um, I want to say in regards to this morning, this sermon could last many weeks, Um, There is so much here. Uh, One of the hardest things about preaching is what you leave behind in the study. Um, And so there's a lot of paper that got left behind on this one. A lot of things get left behind, never make it to the pulpit. And so as a preacher, you pray, you study the text, you pray some more, you study the church, you pray about the church, and in the end, you come on Sunday morning and you trust the Lord with all of it. Um, So... Uh, welcome to our three-hour sermon, all right? So that's pretty much what I'm setting you up for, right? Some of you are getting nervous and getting hungry. Um, well, this, this is week three. If you're new um, this morning, this is week three on our mini-series of covenants, um, but it also takes us back to 2 Samuel. So it's our mini-series in covenants, and then it's our big series in 2 Samuel, Chapter 7, in today's text, the plot thickens related to to covenant. Um, Or to put it more visually, uh, Ryan Kelly describes 
it like this. It's like a creek. These, these administrations is what um, Christian called them. These administrations of covenants. It's like a creek. Creeks are kind of small. Um, you know, different waters feed into it. They flow downhill. And eventually a creek turns into what? A stream. And all these creeks feed into the stream, right? And uh, so streams are bigger than creeks. And eventually streams feed into what? A river, right? And rivers eventually feed together and eventually they end up in oceans. And we're kind of at the stage of rivers. That's where I'd put us this morning. We're at the stage of rivers and that is why uh, or that is what we're trying to unpack in this mini-series, um, these growing administrations, this growing covenant, keeping God is being shown to us in each of these episodes um, to, to show us God's faithfulness. So we come to 2 Samuel 7, and it's the covenant of David. Um, we've moved from creeks to streams and now to rivers, in a couple weeks, Josiah will preach, well, he gets to preach the ocean. He gets to preach the new covenant. And what my, our, our desire, our hope, our prayer is that as we've been seeing these building, um, the, the, the faithfulness of God in his covenant, that, wow, when we come to the new covenant, that uh, you, you will be more in love with God's word. You will be more in love with God. And uh, we fall on our faces and worship him. I believe 2 Samuel 7 is the most important chapter in First and Second Samuel. Now, if you think that's pretty lofty, actually, a lot of commentators believe it to be the most important chapter in the Old Testament. I'm going to take two of my points from Proverbs 16.9, which says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pause and pray. God, we lift up Christian right now, who probably is at this moment preaching to our sister church. We pray that you would bless Gulf Coast Brandon and bless Christian. Lord, encourage that body of believers as they are in transition, awaiting their next pastor, and Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, build them up by your word today. And Lord, I pray for Trinity this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, would you come and speak to our hearts, Lord? I pray, lay us low before you. You're the king. You're the king. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, show us what we need to see. Help us to repent where we need to repent. Do do what you do by your spirit working in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm trying intentionally to keep my tone down because this week has me, I don't know if I'm allowed to be the roaring lion ever. Like, I don't think I'm the roaring lion, but I feel pretty caged up. It's time to open the doors and uh, I am going, I'm just, I am lit up about this passage. Amen. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, ladies. I think that was all ladies. Thanks, ladies. <laughs> there you go. Appreciate it. <laughs> Let's read again, verses 1 through 3. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest, 
from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do, that, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So that, that very first verse, verse one, rest. Realize this is, this is a new theme in all of that we've preached thus far in Samuel. I don't know that we would use the word rest. Run. Run for your life. Certainly. Ah, uh, all sorts of craziness. Uh, all the previous chapters of Samuel, there's no sense of the word rest. David, however, at this point, is finally king. He is king. The Philistines are defeated. Uh, there's, there's unity among the people. They finally have come together and said, you're our king. Um, and all of those episodes that preceded this. The ark is now in Jerusalem. That was a few weeks ago, chapter 6. They ushered in the ark, and so you've got all of, all of that. that. That is to say, if you remember when we preached that, that's the, the glory of God has returned to Israel. Rest. Enemies defeated. Rest. We have unity. Rest. God's glory has returned. Rest. And so we left off in chapter 6. There's this exuberant and spontaneous, unplanned expression of worship. And now David and Nathan, it seems as if they're kind of sitting on the back porch, enjoying some sweet tea and chatting with each other. And David's realizing that I dwell in a house made of cedar, is what he says, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And David says, we got to do something about that. And Nathan, in, in essence, is go, he says, go, do, what's, do what's ever in your, whatever is in your heart. And that church you want to kind of paint as that's the plans of man. All right? Man, man plans, right? Man can plan, but the Lord orders his steps. And even to the prophet Nathan, we've only read the first three verses, initially it sounds good. He's saying, go, go, go for it. Do what's in your heart. Which brings us to point number two. But the Lord establishes his steps. Or God says to man's plans, no. Because when it comes to covenant, it's never going to be about what man will do. But it's always going to be about what God will do. When it comes to covenant, it will always always be about what God will do. And when it comes to your salvation, what? It is always about what God has done. It's not about what you will do or what you have done. It is always about the sovereign grace and mercy of our God, what God will do. So we pick up in verse four. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought, out, brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? All right, so same night. 
David and Nathan having that chat. And now David is told by the Lord, go and tell David this. And in verse five, we see there's a question. Would you build me a house? I take that to, to, to say, what, what can a man build for God who created all things, right? Like, w- would you build me a house? We, we understand a little bit ago, we talked about the offering. It, you understand that it's not that the Lord needs our money. That's not the point of the offering. That, 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 that there's nothing that we can give to the Lord in that sense, like Lord needs our finances. No, the Lord, Lord doesn't want your finances. The Lord wants something more than that. The Lord wants your heart. He wants our very hearts of which one of the ways we, we, we give to the Lord. David will soon see that, that this is not a, about what he as a covenant breaker can do for the Lord. Um. This is about what God, the covenant keeper, will do for his people. The holy, perfect, covenant-keeping God will do something for David. So in verse 6, the Lord, through, through Nathan, says, I have not lived. Uh, God, God, God's, God's been traveling among the people. He's been tenting dwelling among the people in the wilderness, in their suffering, in their wandering. God camped himself among sinful Israel, complaining Israel, whining Israel, slow to respond Israel, quick to reject God Israel. And it's a picture of what's to come in the New Testament. God is dwelling, dwelling among his people. Now there's there's a difference there in the Old Testament, right? He, he dwelt among the people, but there's a sense. Not a sense. There's a command. Don't touch that which is holy, right? You're not just going to go marching into the holy of holies. Cross, go across that veil. There's a veil there for a reason. Do not enter. Do not draw near. But nonetheless, the grace of God in the Old Testament is he, he tented among the people. They, they are near, but not fully drawn near. Um, That's coming. That's what we have in Christ where he tore down the veil and he dwelt among us in human flesh. But if you you stick, uh, help me stick to the Old Testament and not preach Josiah's sermon. Um, God condescended not just in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. God has condescended. He's living among sinful Israel. My presence, what a grace that that is. That they would, they would, represented by that ark, carry that ark wherever they went, representing the presence of the Lord. We could say God condescended himself. He humbled himself in that the infinite, almighty, everywhere present God was represented right there in that ark of the covenant. All-powerful, sovereign Lord among sinful man. He tabernacled, he dwelt, he camped, he lived among them. And in his holiness, he lived among them. But what I'm saying is, and yet there was distance. Or we could say that the creek began to rise. 
and the stream became a river, which brings us to point three, and that is divine initiative. I will. Now, I would recommend as we read through these scriptures, if you've got a pen, have your Bible out and mark all the times it says, I will. Actually, not just here in 2 Samuel 7, but in any of the covenants, because it's just helpful for you to visually see how many things the Lord is doing. And then take out another color pen and mark all the things that David will do. And you know what you'll find out? You're only going to have one color on the page. It's not about you. It's not about David. It is entirely about the sovereign Lord and what he will do and what he has done for you. And so it's beautiful. I counted real quickly this morning just as I was kind of going through my notes. And I've got 13 um, just in these, these remaining verses that we haven't, haven't read yet. There's a lot of I wills. I may have gotten, I may have missed some. But when it comes to a um, covenant, you're talking about divine initiative. You're not talking about David's initiative. We're not talking about Abraham's initiative. And we're not talking about our initiative. We're talking about divine initiative. Not based on what you will do, not based on your morality or your goodness, but entirely on the shoulders of your God. Sovereign grace. God determined grace to be given. The will of the Lord, grace. Meaning it's rooted in his sovereign, divine initiative, steadfast love of the Lord towards sinful man. It is amazing. And it's good. It's good that it's based on the sovereign will of the Lord. Because if it was based on anything other than that, you and I would not be here. If the Lord doesn't will to do salvation, then who will? Sinful man won't. So let's read verse 8. Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, here comes covenant. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Amen. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. 
your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So jumping back to, to verse 8, I, I, I took you from this and brought you to this. You were in the pasture following sheep. Now you are, actually says that you are prince. We'll address that in a second. Before we do that, I'm not trying to compare you and I to David as I make these next points. The, the, the point for us is not to come to 2 Samuel and go, okay, I think I'm David in the story. None of us are David in the story. That said, we do need to recognize that for every follower of Christ in the room, he took you from this and he brought you to this. Every one of us. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ was once in darkness. And Peter says, you are now in marvelous light. You were once the old man, now you are the new man. You once were sin and death, now you are alive in Christ Jesus. And, 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 praise be to God, we were once that, now we're this. But he also said he has made him prince. And I say time out. I thought he was king. Did David get it wrong? Or, or sorry, did Nathan get it wrong? Did something get lost in the translation? Isn't he king? Why would God call him prince? Well, to me, that's waters rising in the, in the river. The river is growing here and it's spilling out on the banks. The whole book began with the people, what, crying, we want to have a king like the other nations and God gave him a king and we know all of that and what took place through Saul and now bringing up of David, and now David's the king, right? But God's calling him prince. David is a prince because he serves, ultimately, a king. Ultimately, there is a king in Israel, and we've been saying that throughout this, these two books. The true king in Israel is the king of kings. Whether the people recognize him as king or not is irrelevant. He is the king. And so David is his prince. Remember a few months ago we were saying, you know, there's two kings in Israel. There's Saul. There's the Lord. What I see here, what verse 8 is saying when he calls him prince, is there's this moment in the books that's saying one king in Israel. It's not David. It's the Lord. This is my prince. And so the sovereign king who sets the covenant in place and does so not by giving David a list of things to do, but the sovereign king who will do the doing. We should be shocked that the sovereign king lists all that he will do. So verse nine, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. So, so what is he doing? He's taking them to the past. David, your past, all those days where you were on the run, I was with you. 
All those days fighting the Philistines, I was with you. All those days, Saul, giving chase. You find yourself in a cave. Difficult circumstances. I was with you in all of that. And he says, I will make your name great. Sounds a lot like Abram, right? I will make your name great. And it's true. We're still speaking his name today. Verse 10, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And so there's this, just when it comes to covenant, we literally could go back and start over in Genesis and re-preach, well, this now the third sermon on covenant and simply only be talking about land and people and name. We've not even mentioned, these are the things that gets left back there in the study, right? But you can do an entire series on just God's people will have a land. It started in the Garden of Eden, and they got kicked out of the land. But what does God promise them? A promised land, right? All of that's leading to something, church. Someday, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new land for the people of God. And so there's this growing theme. The river is swelling, place, land. In verse 10 here, there will be a land where you can dwell in safety and you can rest in all that the Lord provides. And I want to present this. We talk quite often about the already and the not yet. I want you to see the already and the not yet from David's perspective, because that's going on here. All right, David, you I was always with you in the past. Now, verse one, you have rest. That's in the present. But there's also this not yet picture being painted there for David. Something is coming. You've got rest now, but there is a future rest that awaits you. Oh boy, the river is swelling. Did I read verse 11? 11. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You're not going to make me a house. (laughs) You're not going to provide for me. I need nothing. I have everything. I am the Lord, the sovereign Lord. But I will make you a house. So David... You have rest, but the covenant here is saying you're going to have more rest, or we could say it like this, a better rest is still yet to come. I'll give you rest. It's not just an Old Testament theme for an Old Testament covenant. It's not just something that's been promised to David. This is for you, follower, believer in Jesus Christ. And it's right now, presently, you have rest, and it's not yet. There's a rest that we await as well. Just like it was for David. A rest is being promised now to David, but David is to know that there's a coming rest. Now, to what degree does he understand all of that? We know that rest to be Christ is coming. It's in Christ that we have rest Matthew 11 puts it like this. Jesus, 
speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You have rest present, David. Verse 1, presently. You are already at rest, and you will have rest future. Verse 11, it's coming. So here's a quick summary, first 11 verses. I was with you in all of that. I was with you. That's the past. I am with you. I am giving you rest right now in the present. Verse 11, and there will be rest. It's coming. Verse verse 11. And that's you, church. God has been with you. God, in Christ Jesus, when you place your faith in Christ Jesus, you now have rest. The striving can cease. The the striving to gain your salvation, the striving to just morally earn something from the Lord, rest. And your rest is coming. It's coming. It is rivers rising. It's coming. It's coming, coming, coming. It's the already. It's the not yet. Furthermore, verse 11b says, God will make you a house. This started with David wanting to make God a house. The Lord says, no, but I'll make you a house. And the house that God is providing for David is further detailed. Let's read verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now we know that these verses, well, there's a couple things happening. One is it's referring to Solomon, but it's also so beyond Solomon. Because when the, when the Lord builds a house, he does so, what it's saying there, is he does so for eternity. It's a forever house. This is bigger than Solomon. The house that the Lord is building in David is bigger than David, and it's bigger than Solomon, who will be his offspring. It'll be longer lasting than David. The house that God builds has eternity in view. And so he says, your offspring, there's a lineage. When when your days are done, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. That house... He's saying that 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 house that I'm going to build for you, it's going to have a lineage. It's going to be ongoing. It's going to come from your offspring. It's going to be a forever ongoing house that is a kingdom. He says, the throne of his kingdom forever. It's going to be a kingdom, a forever kingdom, verse 13. So he's saying, verse 12, you're going to die. But the covenant that I'm making with you is going to outlive you. You can die, but the promise will not die. This promise is so grand that it's going to be passed along to your offspring. Remember Abram's covenant. Verse 5, 15, Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him outside and said, look, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It doesn't just randomly happen. A kingdom will be built. It will be built. It will be built. I want to ask you, church, are you completely convinced that it will be built? Are you completely convinced of his covenant promises? When we look at Jesus, I want to ask, how can we not be convinced? He is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of each of these covenants that we've been preaching. All right? So there's there's a dual thing going on in these verses. He's talking about Solomon, but he's talking about Jesus. So it's why we hear things from our Lord and Savior like this. Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or we hear from him, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. What, what, what's going on? There? Well, that's covenant being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking in kingdom language, he says to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right now, we're only a couple years removed from all things COVID, and like the panic was on. What's going to happen to the church? I mean, broadly speaking, what's going to happen to, what's going to happen, what's going to, well, this is what's going to happen to the church, He's going to build it. Doesn't matter what kind of circumstance, what kind of struggle, what kind of suffering. Wow, are we American in our perspective, in our prosperity. What is the Lord going to do in COVID? He's going to build his church. What is he going to do next week? He's going to build his church some more. Oh no, what are we going to, well, we're not sure what we're going to do. We're going to do our best, and lead our way through it. But we can know this, whatever man does to plan his steps, the Lord orders them. He establishes them. So we move forward. Revelation 11. Now, yeah, now now we're in the not yet, right? What does he say? And there was a loud voice, voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, appropriately, who sat on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshiped God. Praise the Lord. So he's saying, David, you're gonna die. But this covenant promise, it's not dying. It's forever. It's gonna outlive you but it will come from you. It'll come from your line, your offspring. There will be a forever kingdom. And so we jump to Matthew again and we read the verses, right? You come to Matthew, you're gonna read the gospel and you're like, wow, it starts with a genealogy. Let's just bounce past that, right? No, let's slow down. Let's read verse number one because you think this has anything to do with covenant. Begins like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. The fulfillment of the covenant is now here. Praise be to God. It's as if to say, reader, beware. This is Genesis 12. This is Genesis 15. This is 2 Samuel 7. Maybe that's why John starts his gospel a little different, but he begins, what, with a reminder of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then we jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and what? It dwelt among us. It tabernacled. It lived among us not in an ark that represented the presence, but the presence of the Lord lived among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Do you hear the, two, the, the previous two sermons that Christian has already preached echoing in the room, I hope? Do you hear the glories of the covenant found in Christ? Do you see the river rising? You're here this morning. And many of you have placed your faith in Christ. And on the day of judgment, you are saved in Jesus Christ. You come here week after week to worship him. Why? Why? Why do you come here? How did you get here? So many would would be here and you'd say, I never would have dreamed I'd be serving Christ. Well, your salvation roots are back here. In 2 Samuel 7, in covenants that have been made with David and Abram and Noah and Adam, you're here, plain and simple, because you have a covenant-keeping God. And you and I, well, we're covenant breakers. Some of us old guys in the room, do you remember Covenant Keeping Keepers Conference? I never, never went to one of the conferences, but I'm just thinking, wow, that's just a train wreck waiting to happen. <laughs> I'm going to go to the conference, and as a guy, I'm going to make some covenants, and I'm going to keep those covenants, right? Wrong. God will. God will keep the covenant. You and I, who are we in the story? We're the covenant breakers. And yet he is steadfast in his love towards you and I who are followers of him Praise our God. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom? He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. These verses refer to this immediate kingdom, David's immediate offspring being Solomon. That's why we have verse number 14. But it's also referring to the eternal offspring that will come from the line of David. Hear me. It's not just referring to Solomon. It's referring to the Son of God and the eternal kingdom, the offspring of David. The King of Kings will usher in a forever kingdom. In those verses, we don't have time to really do 
a full unpack, but he speaks to three things. Death, sin, and time. In death, well, David, you're going to die, but it's not going to be the end of the kingdom. This is bigger than you, David. In sin, sin will not destroy the kingdom. And in time, well, time will have no effect on the kingdom. And so then in verse 16, three times over, this is a forever, forever, forever kingdom. I guess it's the repetition of the verses. This kingdom will be beyond you, David. And so I want to dip into next week's sermon just for a moment. We'll finish the chapter next week, but just verse 18 for a moment this morning says this. Then David, what's what's he going to do? Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house? That you have brought me thus far. That's it. That's exactly it. That's the sentiment of every follower of Christ in the room. Who am I? Oh, Lord God, what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And the river swells. It swells over the riverbanks. It dumps into the massive and mighty ocean of who God is. And the new covenant that we have in him. Because the promised one came and he took on human flesh and he lived among us and he said things like the kingdom of God is at hand it's here and he went to the cross and he received the consequences of the covenant remember Christian's sermon on this whether you cut the covenant right What's what's Abram's participation in the covenant ceremony of cutting the covenant? His participation is to sleep. That's what he gets to offer when it comes to covenant. You sleep. The Lord makes the promise. He passes through the cut covenant, which, if you remember, what that means is, if this covenant is broken... May what's happened to these sacrifices, the sacrifices were cut in two, put on two sides of the road, if you will, and then you would pass through to say, hey, if I break covenant, may that happen to me. The Lord makes the promise, but the Lord also passes through. Abram, no. No, you don't pass through because you're a covenant breaker. You will break the covenant. And when you break the covenant, I will pass through for you. I will be the sacrifice that will be cut in two on your behalf. I am the covenant-keeping God. The Lord pays the consequences of broken covenant on our behalf. And so he took on human flesh and he lived among us, but he was crucified and he rose from the grave. 
and he ascended and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you. And he sent his spirit not to live among us, but to live in us. He's now tabernacling, not among you, but in you. And he's returning because that's what the king of king does. Are you convinced he's a returning king? Are you entirely convinced he's a returning king? Friend, just as certain as it was in David's day, where God is saying, I will, and he did. Just as certain, he will again return because he's a covenant-keeping God. How can we be so sure? Well, that's why we're preaching through covenant theology. That's why we're doing this mini-series. It's to help not only put our Bibles together, but to put our faith together. To, to in no, no matter what it is that we're going through, what we're walking through, the circumstances that we're struggling through, and we go back to, oh, but God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. And so he's the king, He's the king of kings and his kingdom is now. It's already. And his kingdom is forever. It's not yet. And if you're a part of that glorious kingdom, then I invite you, stand with me and let's sing like we've never sung before. Let there be joy in the words that we sing as we behold him. That there would be gladness in his church. You belong, church, to the kingdom of God. Let's stand and sing.